Welcome to Sea Time, everybody. The off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. Welcome to Sea Time, everybody. What you're looking at here is episode 77. Uh, I'm back on the couch this weekend. Uh, I'm alone. Uh, here on my couch, personally in Texas, I do have a few guests that are joining us uh, from the internet, if you will, uh, in their respective cities and states. But uh, the good thing is, is that we could Skype, we could Google Hangout, we could do all kinds of fun, nasty things that we shouldn't be able to do, but we can because of the internet. So that's fantastic. But also, thankfully, because of the internet, we have a website. It is seattime.co. We're on Facebook, facebook.com/seattime, and we're on Twitter, twitter.com. It's like at C-Time underscore CEO, all those fun things you can find us. If you were like, oh my gosh, what kind of pint glass is that that he's drinking out of? C-Time pint glass, 20 ounces of absolute pure awesome. So you can have 16 ounces of beer, four ounces a head. Absolutely amazing. Bigcartel.seattime.co. C-O-M actually, but that's confusing. So a lot has been going on. 2013 has really started to kick off in the fact that we just had a really big season uh, series with the GNCC startup this past weekend, we had J-Day going off uh, in Florida. All kinds of fun stuff. So we wanted to get some perspective from some guys from different sides of the fence. So we have Keith Obermeyer, who obviously is uh, Obermeyer, Suzuki, and Yamaha. And he, you know, helps out with the Obermeyer, Yamaha, range racing. He's going to correct me on it when I start getting it really wrong, uh, team. And then, of course, uh, Mr. Nate Caney from uh, the Northeast as well, who's done a J-Day and done really well. I think he won one of the original ones back in the day. And then he's also won a couple GNCCs, X-Pro there, XC2 and XC1. So it's going to be absolutely amazing to get their feedback on everything that happened today. I was really ecstatic to be able to watch the live racing. So let's start with Kaney. What up? Tell us about your weekend and what's been going on in your life. Uh... I actually had a pretty good weekend. Um, you know, sort of spring is sort of starting to break here in New York, so uh, you know that's really nice. It's been a long winter, as you can imagine. It's not like what you get down there. So, you know, here in New York, the the winter is really inconsistent. Where it's like you know you get you get snow, and then you can't do anything other than winter sports for a week, and then it melts away, and then you can sort of get back on your mountain bike and you can do stuff and then all of a sudden it'll snow again just when you get comfortable. So uh, now that's starting to break, which is really nice. And uh, I got a job uh, actually Sunday night crashing a uh, motorcycle in New York City on a uh, on a film set. So I, I did that Sunday night. As like a stunt and, rider? Uh, yep, I got a job as a, as a stunt man in the stunt crew. That's crashing awesome. A, uh, crashing a street bike on Park Avenue. So, so I did that Sunday night. Um, and then, uh, you know, yesterday I was doing everything associated with my job as a uh, independent rep um, and then today I sort of plan to to you know work from my office and uh, you know be, be at my computer to sort of watch the race uh, go down today so uh, you know that's sort of sort of typical for me but uh, you know apart from today you know, I, I just really wanted to be at my computer and I, you know even though, even though I couldn't be at the race I really was pretty interested in seeing how all the guys did and following all my friends and, and uh, you know old peers so yeah. Now, I bet that was really cool for you just because, you know, you, you have been always at the races, racing, you know, and then there was a, one of the, what is it, Ohio, I believe, last year, Powerline Park, where you actually had a mechanical, but then you got to go and do the webcast, you know, with the gentleman that was doing the webcast there, you got in the trailer, you did a really good job, and that's when I figured we need to have that dude on some seat time episodes, because, whoa, he's, he's funny, like, 
Whoa. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I enjoyed doing the webcast, but I mean that's that's sort of tough work, and and this is a better atmosphere actually, you know. And when you do those those live shows of the race, you sort of have to cater to a broad audience, and and here it's like we're all sitting here with a beer, and we're talking about what happened at the race, and uh, you know there, there's sort of a wider bounds, so it's uh it's it's a lot more enjoyable, and uh, you know that's uh, that's nice. Absolutely. All right. Well, Mr. Uh, Mr. Obermeyer, if you will, I might call you Keith. I might call you Obi. I don't really know. It's going to get crazy. Whatever you want to call me. That's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll respond to anything. <laughs> I like it. That that's, could get weird. It is It is only yeah. a Tuesday night, though. That's yeah. all right. Well, um, okay. Now, you've been involved in, with the, you know, not just your shop, the Obermeyer Yamaha Suzuki shop, but then through you being involved with your shop, you're then involved with, um, you know, the range riding Obermeyer Yamaha off-road Viking team that's got a bazillion names. But besides all that, you can clean up the stuff that I screwed up for me, one. And two, you know, give us a little bit of background on how you kind of actually got into the shop and how you own that and then as well got involved with the GNCC team because I think that's pretty neat. Well, you know, I think when you get into the – the motorsports business, um, you know, unless you're just uh, looking for something to do, you're an enthusiast. I mean, it's it's something you've you've ridden and and you love it and you're passionate about it. And you want to make a living in the motorsports industry. And obviously, I'm not as fast as Caney, so I had to find another way to do it. Right. Um, and uh, if, you know, if somebody would pay me to crash motorcycles, then I'd be I'd be very wealthy. But uh, <laughs> I can do that pretty well. Um, but now it's been almost uh, nine and a half years. We started out single line Yamaha dealer in Little Old Jasper, Indiana. Uh, always raced and, and enjoyed it. Um, got into the business. Uh, started helping some guys out locally. Uh, got to know some people. Uh, hooked up with Jason Rains. Did some stuff with him. Uh, you know, basically was talking to him on the phone two years ago, I guess it was, and doing kind of like what we're doing, you know, sitting around talking, well, who's going where, who's riding what, uh, and that's when Charlie had been, uh, had no ride, Charlie Mullins, and uh, was able to, uh, able to put together a, a deal for Charlie with uh, Randy Hawkins at Ampro, and we had a really good, uh, good year that year with the Enduro Series, and then uh, runner-up in the GNCC, so that kind of put us on the map, and uh, we've kind of evolved from there with helping out Ashburn and a few other riders here and there, and we just basically got in at the right time where riders were needing more help uh, at a higher level. Uh, the industry just wasn't supporting itself within, within GNCC racing, and uh, it was a little easier for a dealership to get involved in and help out so that's kind of where we've been um, since then we've taken on Suzuki and then uh, two months ago we took on Honda moved into a new new building uh, so now we're Honda Yamaha Suzuki uh, we've been doing my winter's been consumed with uh, renovations and you know building stuff so uh, meanwhile back at the ranch we've been uh, we scaled back the race team a little bit we had a whole lot of amateurs last year yeah we kind of scaled back um, and mainly just doing XC2 guys just being that stepping stone um, where it's a little easier to help a guy out 
or a couple of guys out versus XC1. Um, it takes a lot of resources to do that. So it's kind of where we've been, uh, and we've had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, is that is is that something that you see that could possibly be kind of like say like a Geico Honda team is in Supercross where you know that, that you could put a lot of focus there and a lot of money into that program, um, but you know kind of knowing that you're just going to harness, you're going to kind of help grow these guys as you were saying, or is it are you going to try to model it a little bit differently? Um, it's a little different just for the resources and the exposure. I mean, when we're talking off road racing, it's not near the publicity mm. that you would get to supercross yeah but, absolutely uh you know and teaming up with jason i you know i was teamed up with randy um <laughs> he's a great guy and then jason and i got to kicking it around then we got daniel engel involved with off-road viking so it's obermeyer yamaha rains riding university and off-road viking right so we've kind of got three separate entities going on there but with jason's experience in the past it's been uh been eaten a little easier for us to to break into some of the sponsors uh, with his his history, and then with the purchasing power of our dealership, we've been able to kind of cross that up a little bit and uh, double up on it. You know, if you're sponsoring us, we're going to be carrying your products in the store. We're going to be pushing it, promoting it, and it's kind of worked really good um, for those who have stepped up and, and helped us out. Uh, as well as you know, it's helped out our riders. So. Yeah. So uh, it, it sounds like since you've got you know started with Yamaha, then added Suzuki, and then went to Honda, that it's mainly European or I'm sorry, mainly uh, Japanese you know manufacturers. Has there been any uh, any need, desire, or want, or just complete no need to do any form of uh, KTM or you know other European manufacturers? Well, um, you know that not really. Um, only because the, the the you know the area where I live is represented with dealers now, right? So, um, you know, and, and it's pretty full over there. I mean, uh, KTM uh, has a lot on their plate, um, and you know they're certainly putting a budget towards it. And that's all they do. They off road. They make off road motorcycles. They don't make um, you know or really you know, ATV scooters side-by-sides none of that other stuff so it's kind of a focus for them uh where the japanese manufacturers really have a more broad product offering so it's, it, it's a little bit different not really something i'm looking to go towards uh, we did gas gas in 06 and 07 um there were some transitions going on there it's neat motorcycle but um you know at some point you put your business face on and, and you have to have something that that helps pay, pay the bills more than it is fun. I mean, and that's yeah. what the gas gas thing was. It was like, this is so cool, it's fun, but um, you know, it needs to make sense too. Right. Um, okay. Uh, Kenny, with a lot of the stuff that he's saying, you know, you you've, you're now kind of in a role as an individual rep for a company that you could possibly wind up getting involved with a race team. I don't know if you particularly in the role you're at now, but I think something like this could maybe lead you to that. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think about uh, the way that you know, Obermeyer Yamaha is involved in, say, like just going to maybe an XC2 program like this and another small uh, kind of like satellite esque teams. Um, I mean, I think that it's a natural, it's the easiest and simplest way to to get involved in racing with XC2. Um, like he said, I mean, the the cost to get an XC1 guy you know that that's going to be competitive and relevant is just kind of too much 
Right. Um, and then even the burden is a little bit more, you know, where I think a lot of the XC2 guys are, even if the cost is a lot, at least they're not going to be a burden because they're, they're guys that have never really had it that good anywhere else in the first place. So it's not like they're going to be, you know, demanding a lot. They're going to be pretty gracious for every extra thing they get. Um, but with that being said, I, I will say that, uh, you know, I'm not a real big, big fan of the XT2 class. And, uh, you know, I think that if, uh, if there were no XC2 class and the XC1 absorbed all the capable riders, we'd have a, uh, you know, a, a 30 to 40 rider deep front line where now you would have a depth of talent that not just the top five guys were getting respect, but the guys that were finishing in the top 20 were going to get more credibility where, you know, now you get a guy who gets uh, 15th overall, but that means he got sixth in the lights class. So it's not necessarily, uh, you know, something that they, they can feel really proud of, you know, because uh, the sponsors of the manufacturers now are just going for the wins in one class or the other, but they're not necessarily rewarding the, uh, the young kids who are working their way up and getting a 15th overall. Right. Well, it sounds like that might be, you know, what the, uh, the range the uh, range riding Obermeyer team is actually wanting to do is, is to give that recognition and maybe give some of that support to those XC2 riders specifically. Um, now granted it would be, it, it does, it would probably financially would be easier to run a team that just has XC2 riders too. But I think that that's all part of like a business model as well. When you really get into the fact that you're like, okay, we have, this is our money. We can only put this much into it. What's the best way for us to support the scene and for us to support riders? And then as well, you know, you, you know, get a little bit out of it. Uh, I, I've never run a team, so I don't know how much you get out of it. But I, I'm thinking off-road. You're doing it more, like he's, like uh, Keith said, for the enthusiastic uh, aspect yeah. of it than you would be trying to, to make an extra dollar or two. Um, yeah. I, I mean, if I were in his shoes, I would be doing the same thing. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's personal belief of mine that the, the sport would be better off. But as long as it is the way it is, then you, you know, you, you adapt to it and you, you make it. You know, if you're a sponsor or an investor, or just a supporter or whatever you may be, then you make the best of it the way it is. And uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I've got the handguard company now going, and if we, if we were growing fast enough that we were going to invest, we would, you know, I, I personally would go and support the uh you know the, the xc1 guys that i see taking the step and making the move but that's because that suits our company but if i were a dealer and now all of a sudden in order to support a rider as a dealer it's a it's a major commitment with bikes and parts and things that's that's a big deal right and, um, i certainly would i would cater to the xc2 guys because of that huh okay yeah and that's interesting I, i've never run a team i've barely ever really raced for anybody i've just done my own racing had fun with it and that's all the need i've had so thinking about it in those aspects is a little bit different and i know you guys being on the business side of it and then as well um candy being on the, the actual racing side of it you guys have some interesting knowledge so all good points i like it uh you mentioned nitro caney actually we got a question from zach huberty he was wondering he's like he really digs on your hand guards but he kind of wanted to know if you guys had anything else in the works and what was going to be kind of coming forward with that yeah, we've got a lot of stuff in the works. Um, you know, we've we've had we've been sort of a, a business in the books for a couple of years, but it took so much out of us just to get that handguard out because uh, because we didn't want to make just another generic handguard. 
that was really only designed around universal fit and aesthetics. Um, you know, we put so much effort into, uh, you know, developing it to be durable and, and work well, um, that all of a sudden it was like, it took us over a year just to get it out. Um, and now that that's out now, we're looking back at all the other ideas we had. And the first thing that we need to do is a park buster because there is such a massive demand uh, from people that have no intention of ever getting rid of bark busters. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've had, I've had friends of mine that, that will not run without bark busters. And I've got friends of mine that will not run with a bark buster because the guy, but the guys who won't run with a bark buster are the guys that have, you know, crashed and sh- like broken their wrists. Um, and and I, I'm not one of those people. I've always run bark busters mainly because my dad said I needed to. And then now that I have started, you know, now that I race, uh, I, I have definitely smashed every living shit out of trees with those things, and I was like, "Well, that was not my knuckles," and I am very happy that that was not my knuckles. Uh, so yeah, I, I personally, I would agree. I would like if you're gonna have handguards, you should probably have, you know, some form of barkbuster in the off-road scene. Now, obviously, if you're gonna start putting them on, let's say, like, was uh, what was Zach Osborne running? Was he running? Uh, was he running yours? Uh, he wasn't running my handguards. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not sure if he ran any at all, actually. He wore something but, uh, today. He didn't have any on in practice, but he was wearing, running something today. But it was actually fairly muddy, so a lot of the rust was that was coming up and stuff. It was covering him pretty good. So yeah, you know, speaking of uh, Osborne, I I talked to somebody yesterday, and I had heard that um that he was maybe going to not be allowed to ride the XC2 class because it says in the rule book that if you have a pro license and motocross and supercross that you're not allowed to ride XC2. And I'd heard that uh, he might not have been able to ride it. Uh, so then t- when today came around and the race got underway and I saw that he was in fact in the XC2 class, I, uh, you know, I was a little shocked, you know, because essentially what that means is that none of the XC2 teams followed through to try to enforce putting him in XC1. And, um, you know, it's a bold move if you take, um, you know, uh, I guess Jason, who's in charge of Keith's team, and then you take Fred Andrews and, uh, you know, whoever else is in charge of an XC2 effort. And, uh, you know, you, you consider that they're letting a guy who's, you know, arguably a, a ringer in the class ride the class against the rules. It's a bold move. And, uh, you know, I guess it worked out uh, essentially to be like a, a, a null point because Andrew won and uh, Jason Thomas got second. But if, if Osborne had been more used to the three hours and he had beaten Jason Thomas, uh, Fred Andrews would have essentially put uh, a spacer between uh, Andrew and uh, on Thomas and started him off with an extra couple points for the season. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because of the fact that you know in the long run he's not going to be at every GNCC. But as you said, if he would have gotten in the in between uh, DeLong, who was uh, rides for Fred Andrews in first place, and then Jason Thomas in second, uh, or and he would have been in third, then he would have taken the what two points away that yeah just yep. wouldn't have been there. So that's an interesting point. Um, I, I guess then they don't cons- like the XC two class in your eyes is not considered a pro class where they race the smaller bikes. I think it is considered a pro class, but it's it's designed to. I think it's designed to suit the the manufacturers. That are in it, um, and I may, I may be wrong. The rules change every year too. It's like oh, whatever, do they? whatever, whatever rules need to be bent, changed, or modified to uh, 
Yeah, what he's saying is, mask, is true. But yeah, the you know, I didn't realize. Are, the rules are changed every year to adapt to whatever team or brand has, has a new uh, demand. And in this case, you know, this year, they changed the rules to allow Grant Baylor into the class. Um, you know, and, and they did uh, the year before for DeLong and... and uh, yeah, so it's like, you know, it's an ongoing thing where they sort of, I think they bend the rules here and there to make sure that it's, you know, that all the teams are satisfied and, you know, of course, when one's happy, the other one's not, but, it, you know, it's sort of been an ongoing trend where we see that they are able to sort of do what they want and, and uh, you know, cater to, to people when they have to. Right. Okay. Well, it sounds like you guys both kind of agree that that might not be the right way to do it. So, Keith, then, what would you... Do you have any, I mean, running now an only XC2 team, you know, is there anything that you see that, that, that they have changed that may not work in your favor? Or is there something that, you know, that, that you well, would? Well, you know, I, I kind of echo what Nate's saying. Okay. In, in that, uh, you know, five, ten years ago, whatever it was, I mean, when, when you went to the front row, that was a front row. Right. Uh, there were... 20, 25 guys that were freight training through the woods uh, that could go the speed, and it was it was interesting to see who was going to win. Um, you know, somebody picks a bad line, somebody gets aggressive to get around somebody, and they go down. I mean, it changes the whole dynamic of the race when you have uh, those two classes and you have top four guys in XC2, top five guys that can that can run up into XC1, and it seems like it happens at a lot of the races. The the trails broke in to a degree when XC2 takes off, and they run up into the overall in the first lap, pretty high up. Right. Uh, and then it shakes out on the second lap, but still, it's, uh, you know, I, I think they need to just put it all together and line them up and go racing. But I, I agree. I think it's sort of a shame because, you know, there's a handful of guys who I think are are just doing themselves an injustice by starting on the second row and you know Andrew DeLong is like a great example of somebody who's just he's doing great every time he races but like today for example he was fifth overall but he got a bad start on the second row so he had to yeah. come through his entire own row yeah. before he worked through the next row granted working through the XC1 class isn't very difficult anymore because there's only 15 guys and that's right. 15 in Florida there will probably be 10 in Georgia and eight on average you know so it's not going to be a lot but if you take a guy like him and you put him in a freight train with caleb russell and charlie mullins he's probably not going to fall off right but given the fact that he never started with it it's like he's working against his own odds so and, and imagine what he could do with a motorcycle to add 310 cc's versus 250. absolutely so you take you yeah. take an andrew DeLong and you put him on <laughs> you put him on a better bike uh you take jason thomas and now he's a guy who's not really, you know, not really got a whole lot behind him. And he's basically doing as good as he is because he believes in himself and he's working hard for it. And you put him there as well, um, you know, and then, then you take a Zach Osborne, who, who knows what he's even capable of. And then even, even Jed Haynes, you know, he's another good example because he spent a couple of years full shotting every race in XC1 and, and fighting the arm pop as long as he could. And, you know, he got to the point where, he was a contender against even me and, and other top guys at the National Hair Scrambles, but he never sort of broke the ice in XC1 at GNCC before he moved back to XC2. And now he's getting the results. He's getting some top tens, but he's another guy who arguably should be running XC1 and should be getting himself that start and should be putting himself in the mix. 
Hmm. And, um, you know, it's just there's a handful of the guys. And if, if, if they all put themselves in a position where they put themselves in the front row and, and they, you know, they, they go back to the roots and they take a look at themselves in the mirror in the morning and they see a man and then they go to the start line and they do their best, you know, then all of a sudden you got some pretty exciting racing going on. Huh. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting hearing you guys talk about this. Uh, you know, I've been riding motorcycles my entire life and uh, racing, you know, mainly Enduros. So following the GNCCs a little bit as I was growing up because my dad didn't really – I guess we didn't ever head east. So here, you know, a little bit that I was able to hear about it and uh, the riders I was able to follow, kind of like the Scott Summers, some of the, you know, the Randy Smiths or Rodney Smiths and stuff like that. So it's interesting now to kind of be involved for like the past two or three years and kind of hear you guys now talk about how – the XC2 class is is, uh, is is not what some people like myself would believe. Um, and and I, th- I know that a lot of people would have different opinions and different sides, and it sounds like it would be one hell of a discussion to have with some people that might have, obviously, opinions the other way that are going to – but maybe that well, would just I, be I – I think that right now, I mean, a good example of somebody who would really have a strong opinion um, one way, uh, you know, contrary to what I think, is somebody from uh, Husqvarna because they built their whole program around that class. So until they have a suitable bike for the XC1 class, they want the XC2 class there because they're investing in it. Right. But as soon as as soon as that brand, who has invested a lot of money into the series, has a has an offering for the XC1 class, they've already got the rider and Andrew DeLong. And, uh, you know, I think as soon as they have a bike to put under him in that class, I think that we will see GNCC, um, you know, advance the, uh, their system where I don't know if they'll get rid of XC2, but they might change the rules so that the majority of guys are actually in XC1 and XC2 goes back to being a uh, sort of a purgatory class for the guys who, you know, aren't quite ready to make a big jump. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I know that uh, talking to DeLong this past year at in Germany at the ISDE, he was talking about riding a 310 and how much he loved that bike. Um, it's just unfortunate because the 310 that he was able to ride in Germany wasn't the 310 that he had been testing. So the one that he had was nowhere near the same and uh, with all the adjustments that they had made you know, to personalize the 310 for him. So he loves that bike, and I think that it would be interesting now to – as you're saying it, you know, once he could get on that thing and you know maybe kick some ass in the XE one class, it'd be interesting to see what's going to be, what's going to be kind of, I guess as you're saying it, you know, left of the XE two and where it may move on. Um, before we kind of talk, start talking about some of the racing that did happen uh, this past weekend, I definitely have to uh, big shout out to one of our partners is uh, Fly Racing. Fly Racing is the title sponsor of Seat Time. Uh, they're one of the first guys that really kind of they found us. They came to us and they were like, "We like what you're doing. We know you're having fun." And that's the core part of anything. You know, I just as Keith said about early on, you have to be an enthusiast to be involved in this sport. Obviously, you know, Steven is our producer. He's not just here because of the fact that he thinks I'm sexy and just because he likes talking about motorcycles. He likes just talking about motorcycles. He doesn't think I'm sexy at all. But when I wear fly racing stuff, he thinks I'm extremely sexy. And that's the way it should be, right? Yeah, Steven, you know what's up. But so they've done a lot to help us and kind of to – Get to, to help seat time become a little bit more from what it was, I guess, when we were just sitting on the couch, two guys, and drinking beer. Oh, wait. We're, we haven't really evolved very much, have we? So flyracing.com is where you can check them out. You can go to your uh, local dealer, uh, ask to see any of their new 2013 fly. Oh, was that a hand? Was that a, was yeah, that a hand, yeah. Keith? All He's right. All. Yeah. So, see, you, you, you know what's going on with fly. Tell me about your best fly racing experience. 
goodness. And uh, not just about the boxers they about, wear. You know, yeah, they help the team, okay? They help the team a lot. And that's, beside that, they've done a lot for the sport. Uh, I agree. They, they've, they're like the biggest off-road supporter. They are. Um, and it's interesting. Um, I, I feel like they uh, they really snuck up out of nowhere and, and and really put some some fly gear out there, and it's it's amazing to see how popular it is. But the the gear fits. Um, we've con- converted people from other brands just for the fitment. Um, if you're you're bigger than the average average waist like I am, then you can appreciate a little more room and some riding gear. So. Yeah. Are you uh are you selling fly gear in your shop? Yes. That's good. Yes. I uh, I've heard of, I've heard of a handful of shops that sponsor teams, and their teams are sponsored by fly, but then the shops don't actually sell it. And uh, you know it's kind of ironic, but it's good to see. You know I like to see. Oh it when, yeah, we do absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's part of the deal. I mean, it's part of um, you know when you're in a town of twelve thousand people. Um, and you're capable of being, you know, in the top two uh, for Yamaha um, in the state of Indiana on retail sales, and you're only in 12,000 people, and you're, you know, bumping up against uh, big metro areas. Um, you know, when you when you build your own brand, people come and they see what you're doing. They want to be a part of what you're doing. And, and when Fly got involved with us, um, we had a little bit of it in, and we kind of went in whole hog and. Um, they make good stuff, and it and it does sell well. Um, we've carried all the brands, so it, it's been good for us. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm really excited because of the fact that I've, uh, you know the 2013 spring line was announced about a month ago. Um, uh, everything looks fantastic. I think it's amazing looking stuff. I know that uh, I, I'm looking forward to being able to get uh, my first set of that new mesh gear in with all the lightning stuff. It looks so cool. I think I'm gonna look much more fantastic than I do right now alone. On the couch with my, with my little uh, my little uh, four wheeler here, my son's four wheeler. I I can't. He's not old enough to be on the show yet, and not just because he does. He's not old enough to have beer. He's just not old enough to sit upright and not bitch the whole time. So, I mean, I say bitch, but you know, he's a baby. I mean, he's seven months old, so I mean, he can only only do so much, you know. But uh, so Fly Racing, thank you very very much for their support. We would definitely love it if anybody is watching the show and listens to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, or YouTube that you could go check them out at flyracing.com. Okay, well, we have been talking about GNCC, and I say I see no reason to stop. That is a very, very uh, hot topic because, holy shit, we had the 2013 season open this past weekend. We had the ATVs on uh, Sunday, and then we had the bikes on Tuesday, which, hello, today's Tuesday because we're live on seat time. I'm, I'm pretty excited about the racing that went down today for a couple reasons. Um, one is I was able to pretend that I was working and watch the GNCC racing. I honestly think that that's probably the number one thing that I really enjoyed. It seemed like they had a couple growing pains going on with the servers going down. But honestly, what they're trying to do and trying to pretty much have the best off-road series um, along with offering you know, the live webcast, you're going to have growing pains like that. So I, I say great job. It was awesome. Um, were you guys, either one of you all, able to? It sounded like Kenny that you were able to skirt work a little bit and watch it. But Keith, were you able to watch uh, some of the live racing today? Oh yeah, yeah. I got to watch some of it. I got pulled away a few times and then you know circled back around. But it was uh, that was sweet. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, Kenny, you didn't get in too much trouble from anybody there at uh, at your office. <laughs> 
No, I kind of make my own schedule, you know, so... Uh, yeah, I was about to ask, are you in your office, technically? <laughs> yeah, my bedroom doubles as my office, so... Uh, so, yeah, I was... Uh, I bet you some of the press releases... I could have been in my... Uh, I could have been in sweatpants all day if I wanted to. Nice. So some of the press releases that come out at 2 a.m. on a Saturday evening are, could be kind of interesting? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to be there and watch the race. I knew we were going to be talking about it tonight, and it's like, why go on a show and then not know what you're talking about? And, uh, you know, not only that, but uh, I have I have a lot of, you know, Nitro's marketing and advertising invested in the ride, some of our riders who are doing that series. So, you know, of course, those are riders we sponsor, but they're also my friends. And, and not only that, but I've got a lot of respect for all the guys racing that, that series. And... Uh, you know, I may not be racing it anymore, but I'm pretty interested in seeing how all the guys are doing and, and watching them ride and, and judging their performance and sort of picking up on little details here and there. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. You know, it, it's not like I'm sitting here retired from racing and bitter. You know, I'm certainly a fan of all those guys and, you know, all the guys that I had my biggest battles with. It's not like I have to give a crap anymore. I can be I can be pumped to watch them race just like I am to see my, my closest friends too, you know. So, yeah. Uh, it was interesting for me to watch it. I like it. Did you? Were there any? Were there any moments when you were watching it today, where you just absolutely like caught yourself like in the attack position, feeling like you were like going to the woods trying to like, oh, I would have taken that line. Like, were you like, oh, you idiot, you could have gotten him here. You know, I, I definitely saw like you know it wasn't quite like that, but I definitely watched stuff and it was like I'd see Caleb Russell take one line and Paul Woodley take another, and it was like. You know, I knew Paul knew about the line because he probably spent 30 minutes walking on it the day before. <laughs> right. And, you know, I knew whoever, whatever line Caleb took was probably because whoever was there from KTM, um, you know, was probably a, a sort of a cautious guy and pointed him to take the safe line and not take the risky one. And, you know, it's like I'm watching this stuff. And, of course, like you got that margin of doubt where, you know, you still think that you can win, and you're like, oh, if I were there, I would have known what to do, and I would have gone faster, and I would have, you know, but, you know, it's, it's sort of human nature that you just look at that stuff, and you think you can do better, and especially when you're watching on TV, but in reality, you know, I sort of know better, and I had all my chances, so I'm pretty okay with everything. Yeah, so you were, so if, if we were to do like a, you know, they do the SX on speed hashtag, and people post pictures and stuff, if you'd have like a GNCC live picture, would you have been in your gear today? Like, just full bore, like... <laughs> Ah! Yeah, no, I don't think so. Oh, I was. If I would have been in any, if I, if you're gonna catch me in any gear whatsoever, it'll be bicycle gear. Oh, spandex, huh? That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't even know a dirt bike anymore. So, part of what I'm doing now is it's like you know I know, I know if I put the effort into my job now that I put into racing, that I'll be successful in it. And part of working that hard at it is not having a dirt bike trying to lure me away at three o'clock every afternoon. So, um, you know, I don't think I'm going to have a dirt bike at all this year. And once I get things rolling, I'll probably get a bike and sort of casually get back into it the following year. I think that, uh, you are much more intelligent than, uh, than some people might give you credit for, cause that is entirely too smart. And I don't want to have to listen to your logic anymore. It's ridiculous. Um, so, I, one of the things that was awesome about the racing that happened today was we got to see Mullins come back and not only have a healthy race, but he also got to have a mechanical free race. He was kind of plagued last year, um, which was you know him trying to come back and win another XC1 title. Um, 
in 2011 like he did, or 2012 like he did in 2011. And, and he rode a phenomenal race coming out. Uh, Wibley got the whole shot, which that's, I, I, what, they had 13 races last year, so that's got to be, what, 14 in a row now that he's gotten the whole shot in the XE1 class. Um, but then Josh Strang being right up there with him, and then Caleb Russell coming out of nowhere really fast and getting up there, challenging Mullins once he got around Wibbs. I mean, we had, I thought, you know, just from watching it online, an absolutely awesome battle that was going on in the XE1 class. Uh, you know, between, say, the top five guys going back and forth so much. I, I mean, you you guys kind of, anything that you took away from, you know, from the XE1 race today? Well, I was pretty impressed that uh, that Lafferty was up there right out of the gate. Dude, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Enduro yeah, champion I, nine times. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you know, he, he's ridden the sand a lot for the alligator, but, um, yeah, it was uh, it was cool to see him up there. Um, I think Paul had a, had an issue there and uh, dropped back to fifth. Um, but, yeah, coming out of the gate, Strang, I thought that was cool that he was uh, doing as well as he was doing. Uh, really didn't uh, know if he would make, you know, make that speed for the whole race, but obviously he uh, you know, better better shape for that kind of racing than, than I've given him credit for, I guess. Yeah, I think I think that a lot of people had given him credit for it. It sounded like a lot of people were wondering if he could kind of come back into, like, three hours worth of racing. Right. I didn't really have any doubt about Strang doing the three hours. What I had more doubt was whether or not he was going to have the outright speed because I know Strang's a very modern trainer. You know, he's he's uh, very, you know, self-motivated and, and smart about his training. He's doing a lot of cycling and he's going to the gym every day. He's not scared to work hard. So I wasn't concerned about – I didn't have any doubt about him, like, being there, but – I had questions about whether or not Strang would just come out of the gate and have the speed right away, or sort of where he would pick up. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of question marks with him. I mean, when he when he left GNCC on top, he was riding the the bike that was tailor made to him, and it was arguably you know one of the best 450s for a, for a pro to use. So um, you know, there's that. And then last year he came back and he really sort of struggled to be on pace when he was on the on the diesel, the diesel model KTM, mm-hmm. and uh, and by that I mean the carbureted um, old right. style. <laughs> but uh, you know, so there's a lot of doubts. I know the Cowie is really good, and I kind of, I just didn't, you know, he had a preseason race a couple weeks ago, and he he was a few minutes behind Paul, and you know there there was doubts about that, but uh, you know he he certainly fit, and that was that was not anything that I had doubts in. But you know, I was actually. Keith said he was surprised to see, and both of you said he was surprised to see Lafferty up front. I was surprised when he suddenly wasn't up front, actually, you know, because I've trained a lot with Lafferty. I've spent probably two full winters living with him and training with him every day. And I think that I admire him more than maybe anybody else racing off-road in the country. Really? He is is an old-fashioned, no-bullshit, brass tacks, work hard every day and leave nothing undone you know and uh and he's, he's fast as shit and he's getting better with age and uh you know when, when you see him at the front of a race that's when you know he's business and uh for, for him to to sort of fall out of that lead and fall back that was more of a shocker to me than anything yeah I, and it, it seemed like he unfortunately had a mechanical i know that uh when i was listening to the webcast uh that Stuart baylor ran over there and was talking to him trying to figure out what was what it was that was going on uh, he did have some form of mechanical 
Um, and it's unfortunate because, like you said, I mean, he was he was up there running awesome. I mean, he may have been just – he may have just wanted to go out there for a couple laps anyway to kind of get some sand test in, but the way you put it, Nate, I honestly doubt that. It sounds like when he goes out to, to give it any kind of percent, it's 100% or nothing. So. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, he, he knows that he's – He's running out of time in his career, and he's certainly the kind of guy who wants to make the years that he has left racing count. So there's no doubt in my mind that if he goes through the effort to put himself at the start line of a race, he's taking it seriously. And uh, I, I know how much he likes those new Husebergs. Um, like I said, I, I, I don't think there's anybody I really admire more in the racing world than him. And, you know, I, I wasn't shocked at all to see him lead, but... For, for him to suddenly not be there that was sort of what was yeah uh, oh, and actually it's weird enough because i do have it in my notes he ripped off his shifter so you can't shift a motorcycle you're gonna have to rev the shit out of it or lug the crap out of it and sometimes that just doesn't work well so it's well, unfortunate. yeah i think didn't russell bobbitt have a problem too they said he was pushing his bike back yeah he went down in the first uh he went down in the first turn and his uh bark buster kind of uh, or his handguard or bark buster, whichever he was running, kind of wore on his front brake lever. And so he couldn't tell that that was the case at first. So he was going, he's like, man, what's going on with my bike? Why does it feel like it's lugging so much? And it's just because his front brake was pretty much activated the whole time. And they thought it was because yeah. it was a warped rotor. Um, and so when he pulled in and he had another wreck because of that, and then that was yeah. when they figured it out. But, yeah, it was unfortunate so, to see him go down too. So essentially, uh, essentially, KTM got off pretty clear today, given that uh, that Mike and um, and and Russell's bikes are actually labeled as Husebergs because um, now officially this is probably the first year in I don't know how many years that KTM, the factory, the official KTM team has gotten through round one without a mechanical failure. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think every year I ever raced Florida, I had mechanicals with KTM. You know, I finished, but I had to stop and put whole new rear brakes in, and I put a, a connecting rod through the engine case one year. And, Holy shit! And do, you do know, you, is that is now? It seems that it would be a European manufacturing thing, but at the same time, you know, KTM's really been pushing a lot of the limits in the past couple of years, like trying to make, like say, like the Dungey bike, and then making the 350, and the two strokes. I think are always kind of evolving. They're always getting a little bit nicer. So I mean, they're they're always making changes. You know, is, is that a problem or is it, you know, still more of like a European manufacturing and they just don't have the consistency that the Japanese do for whatever I that think is? I a little bit of both. I mean, uh, you know, the, the one year I, uh, you know, I'll tell you from my personal experience first and an opinion after that, but, uh, you know, first, um, you know, I broke a crank and uh, – when I had to push the bike back, they first told me that it was my fault because I'm the only one on the team that revs the bike up that much. But then, um, you know, my mechanic felt bad, and a couple of days later, he told me, you know, not to feel bad that there was a whole production run of defective rods, you know. And uh, so, as it turns out, they had to they had to narrow down the uh, the production run numbers on a certain batch and get them out of the uh, stock, you know. And right. So then there was that, and the next year, I think I broke a uh, the rear brake system failed, but that was just something like the sand got in the master cylinder, and you know like it happens in Florida. It could happen on any bike. So right. there's that. But then uh, another year, uh, Caleb Russell, the first year with fuel injection, his fuel injection failed, and that year it was like 
KTM had this brand new fuel injection and they had a lot of problems with it and I don't know why, but uh, you know, it was like that year they had a lot of those problems and now you never see Caleb or Charlie have fuel injection problems anymore. But I guess it's like, you know, probably 50-50, you know, they're pushing the limit with the technology on one hand, but on the other hand, they're still trying to improve the quality control in their manufacturing. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, Keith, you know, the team you run, that's all, uh, and, and the shop that you own all is, you know, Japanese manufacturers. So if there was one, yeah. you know, bit of advice that you have, you know, say you got to talk to the, 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 whoever you think you should talk to at KTM about getting their shit together. Obviously that's maybe not what they really <laughs> need to do, but you know, to maybe, you know, try to whatever it is with their mechanicals, what would you think it is? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's, uh, it's interesting to see some of the things that go on, um, that are, uh, kind of freakish i know that uh you know charlie took the the dungy bike to to the enduro series and you know he had issue after issue uh, he mangled that thing <laughs> yeah well you know they went into the van and did a did a motor swap between test at an enduro he kept kicking the uh the oil filler cap off um and tearing up clutches and everything else and later in the year i talked to him i was like what would what's the deal what'd you do to get it dialed in and he basically said we went back to stock horsepower you know they pumped the motor up so much that you know he couldn't keep a clutch in it and uh you know basically it was just self-destructing so i you know i don't know it's uh when you buy into you know the four strokes that yamaha as an example make i mean they've been tough uh you know our 250f's really refined yeah it's 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 not the latest on uh on its uh, fuel handling characteristics, but uh, it works good. It's a good machine, and um, I don't know. You know, it's just building it for the masses uh, is a little different than being a specialty company that makes you know thirty-two different off-road models or whatever they make. It's, right. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know that they get as honed in. Um, to be fair, I mean. Thing. Charlie is probably the hardest guy there with on bikes, and uh, he, that's, that's a good good reason to break any bike he rode. Well, you know, he really didn't have that issue in 2010 riding a non-current Yamaha. So, uh, didn't he have a lot of mechanicals on when he was on your bike as well? I know he won the Enduro. And GNCCs as well. No, he had uh, we had a mechanical at the end of the year. So did Strang, and that was when uh, it was powdery dusty at Ironman. Right. Uh, stuck air through the intake or through the air filter. Uh, broke a clutch, perch or something at the alligator, or at one of the Florida rounds in the National Enduro Series. No, I mean as far as Charlie went, you know, when I first talked to Charlie uh, in, in late 2009 about doing 2010. And, you know, he'd, he'd gotten 10 Suzuki's uh, for his 2009 year, and, and I told him right away that, you know, I'm the wrong guy to talk to then because uh, <laughs> 10 motorcycles, you know, yeah. it just isn't going to happen. And, and if I'm not mistaken, he made it through the whole year. I think he used three motorcycles, and one of them he had set back that was basically he just got it out of service for the last two GNCCs just because, but uh, yeah. Uh, huh. No, actually, no. He was uh, he was extremely hard on uh, on calipers. 
Um, I've never seen anybody spread calipers and, uh, and be so hard on the braking system, but you know, you go to the Jack Pine Enduro, it's, it's tight. He says he's running it wide open in first gear. And I think he just uses foots on the brake the whole time. He just lets off tell himself. It's uh, <laughs> what I think, but you know, uh, it, it's just insane. So it's just the opposite of a trials rider where they're all clutch. This guy's all brake except for throttle. Oh man, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, have, yeah, I don't get it. You know, and these guys at Kenny, you're probably saying, "Well, you don't cut your handlebars down." Mine are like a, like a tiller motor. You know, mine are 28 inches. I don't want to hit any trees, but uh, for whatever reason, these fast guys run their bars wide. Well, I, I could, I could definitely, I could definitely speak to that because my dad, we grew up in uh, southern Louisiana, with those tight ass pine trees, and those things we did, we cut our shit down to like 90, 29 and a half, so that we'd be like thirty full on with our barkbusters, and then I moved to Texas, and you didn't need right. shit like that, and so it was like I slowly started doing a little bit more west coast or west Texas enduros, and then now, yeah, they're completely uncut, and now I can go to like Cycle Land and Nacogdoches. And I can ride there in the tight woods for whatever reason in 32-inch bars. But, you know, for when I growing up in Louisiana, it was, cut them. All right, Dad, get the hacksaw. Yeah. <laughs> the last time I cut my bars, I think I I got to the first. I, I did, it was the first year I was traveling around doing all the nationals. I did the Florida round, and I was like, did good, and I was all pumped. It's like, all right, I got to be ready for Georgia. It's going to be tight as shit there. And... I cut my bars down, and I think I cut a half inch off each side. And um, I was like two miles into the race when I realized how much that did not work for me. <laughs> and uh, I dealt with it the whole race, and I never thought about touching my bars. No, you know what? I cut them once again. I did the alligator enduro, or not the alligator, the, the Cherokee. The first year I was with KTM, I did the Cherokee enduro. And... Um, I was staying with Russell Bobbitt and hanging out with Mike Lafferty a lot, and all they talked about was how that race was so freaking tight, and uh, it was like, you know, it was like a, it was like a, a ghost story the way they talked about it. You know, it was like so tight that you couldn't imagine it. You know, it was like you're gonna get claustrophobia in the trails. You know, they and, probably uh, did that to you on purpose just to fuck with you. Yeah, they definitely were because <laughs> they they hated the fact that I was like not normal with barkbuster there. So anyway. The day before the race, I, I cut my bars enough so that I could put bark busters on and they wouldn't be any wider than they than the normal bar would have been. Right. And uh, I rode really well that way, um, but uh, you know, it was I just wasn't comfortable with it. Well, I try to be as comfortable as possible in most situations, so I think that that should makes you happy. You do whatever you want, Mr. Caney, because I know you yeah. will anyway. Well, <laughs> okay. Now, from now on, I can actually go to even wider than standard width bars. You're like now I don't have to worry about performance at all. So uh, yeah, we're in good. You're like good you're duct taping extra extra length. <laughs> I think Chris Bach told me that he got a a custom set of bars from from Flex Bars that were wider than normal. I think a couple of years ago he might have run them on the on the on his regular race bike. Uh, I don't. I just want to give a heads up to your either girlfriend or wife who's in the background. As long as she doesn't start changing, because she can see her in the mirror. So, I just just because I'm a nice guy, I just want to give a heads up on that one. Um, that was that was part of the, 
That was part of the uh, show, and you just ruined it. Oh, what? <laughs> well, you going to do that on purpose. <laughs> took all the fun out of it. Oh, uh, well, you could, you could, I mean, if she was going to strip for you and just try to keep you straight-faced or maybe not straight-faced, you know, that's fine. I just, I would have liked to have been known, so I could have just not said a thing and watched as well. Right, I mean, yeah. It was actually all part of an act where she wanted to act like she didn't mean it. Yeah, she's like, hey, I think Brian's going to enjoy this. <laughs> now it might be creepy, but I'm okay with creepy, so it's fine. All right, so GNCC results for the XE1 class. If we look at all of it, we got Charlie Mullins in first, Caleb Russell in second, Josh Strang in third, Paul Wibley in fourth, and then Thad Duvall in fifth. I think uh, it, these are the guys that we're going to see um, you know, battling it out all year. These are the, these are the ones that you, you we saw besides Strang. Obviously, they were they were giving it all last year. Mullins when he didn't have either pains or mechanicals. Um, Duvall did get a win last year. I think some of that consistency is going to come through this year. You know, so who are some other riders in the XC1 class that you guys think that are you know going to going to be able to pop into the top five and really kind of maybe start contesting that they weren't in top five today? I think Rory Mead will be a big one. Okay. Uh, you know, we, I don't know what happened to him today. I sent him a message. but uh, Yeah, he was just on the side of the track at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, I, I didn't see it. I mean, I, I had trouble with the live feed. It wasn't really very good. It sort of seemed like, you know, there was more uh, more southern draw from uh, from Rodney and Stu than, than actual video coverage. But uh, hey, I'm not sure what happened to him. I didn't see him on the side of the track. But uh, I, I heard that he only got two laps in. And... Um, you know, I don't know what it is, but I do think that he's going to be a contender um, at all the, all the races going forward. Cool. What about you, Keith? Well, I'd like to think that uh, that Ashburn has more to offer than what he put on the table today. Yeah, that's uh, a good point, actually. I really think you're right there. Uh, you know, from what I understand, he's you know he's been racing all winter long. He's been doing the Mid South Series. In fact, he won the uh, the championship in that. Um, you know, from what I'm. I'm here, and he's doing quite a bit of CrossFit, doing a little more to get uh, to get in shape. Uh, you know, what little I got to talk to Randy after the race today, he talked like he might have had a little bit of a, a, a flu bug. But, uh, you know, I think Ashburn um, certainly has all the talent in the world. Uh, it's just it's going to take him harnessing all of his, uh, uh, all the desire he can muster to, to get up there and do it. Because I think he's got the talent, he's got the speed. Um, he can get his conditioning if his conditioning's where it should be. I think we may see something out of it before it's over. Yeah. Uh, and the, what do you guys think about Stuart Baylor Jr.? I mean, obviously he's out with a ridge injury. He's probably going to be out, you know, it seems like a majority of the year, which is unfortunate, but it is what it is. So, you know, do you guys think he's going to have much for these guys? If he'll take the time to heal. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's probably the biggest thing is, Came back and tried to race the uh, Cherokee, and, um, probably too soon. Obviously, too soon. Had to yeah. Back in another surgery. Um, if he can get healed up and he doesn't have too many pains, yeah, I think he he's got something. But you know, by the time he's healed up, it looks like Grant's gonna be. Uh, yeah. On, on His younger brother's gonna be Grant. kicking some ass. Yeah, he's, he's on it too. Didn't they say on the show today that Stu's got to sit out like half the season? Yeah, yeah, he's going to be yeah. out like a majority of the year. Already had a lot of complications with it over the off season. I mean, I think it's for as far as he's concerned. I think it's more a matter of is he going to is he going to be able to return to being competitive at all? Not a matter of if he can run for wins. Yeah, no, right. that's un well, you're think, absolutely you know, right. 
Yeah, and I, you know, talking just you know, friends in the industry and, and, and talking around, you know, it's it's definitely an injury he needs to take serious. Um, you know, Rick Johnson comes to mind when you think about people who uh, you know didn't get a wrist injury healed up right. Basically, they were done. So, yeah. You know, Stu's got the talent, got the speed. Um, you know, he just needs to get healthy. You know, if he can come back from this, then yeah, you know, like Nate's saying, I think he'll he'll do fine. But there again, he's got to come back from it. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing how the uh, how everything comes this uh, coming weekend in Georgia for the XC1 uh, guys. Now, if we go XC2, we had uh, Andrew DeLong was in first place, um, Jason Thomas in second, and then we had uh, Zach Osborne, you know, the Supercross motocross uh, guy, the real 338, if you will, in third place, uh, Jed Haynes in fourth, and then we had Grant Baylor in fifth. So, Top five for uh, one of your boys, Keith, which is awesome yeah. to see. And then we had, uh, I think Andrew DeLong was actually fifth overall, first in the class, um, which is, uh, you know, kind of kind of the point you guys were making a little bit earlier that it's, it, it seems that some of these guys really can, if they were to be able to start in the first line, would really be able to uh, contest in the top five, starting from the first line and maybe even further up. Jason Thomas, it sounded, it seemed like uh, with Andrew DeLong going down in the first turn, came from like second to last, if not last. Um, to catch up to these guys and pass. I noticed a couple times he was taking the hot lines. Like you were talking about, like, say, maybe KTM might be pointing some people towards a little bit safer lines. Or, uh, it, it, But every time you saw Andrew DeLong making up time, he was just blowing through those nasty mud holes, going over the crazy-ass log sections, just trying to make up any time he could. And obviously it paid off. I mean, he was just booking it. So... But um, so Zach Osborne, though, we were talking a little bit about him. You know, he had a phenomenal two and a half hours of racing. And then it did seem that he kind of fell off the pace. Uh, if, if you know, this is kind of I, I believe he was doing this for fun. I mean, we know he was doing it for fun, but it's kind of it sounds like this is this is close to very local for him. Um, so he's able to kind of just come out and play around, wake up in, from his own bed and just go out and have fun. Uh, he did the J Day and did really well out there. And then uh, coming out here and doing doing this guy. I mean, this was that was cool to see him out here. I mean, do, do you? Well, I mean, Os- Osborne. If you look at I mean, if you look at what he had going on the last lap, he pulled a faster lap on the last lap than Duvall. Uh, so I mean, he didn't fade too terribly much. But, yeah. Uh, I you know, uh, man, DeLong. Going back to him. Uh, I asked Jed today, I said, well, you know, what happened when, uh, how'd DeLong get by you? Because Jed had a horrible start, too. Um, not as bad as, as Andrew, but, uh, yeah, he said he was, he was definitely getting, uh, getting some, some hot lines and, and uh, passing lots of people in one, one, one pass, you know, getting, getting a lot of riders out of the way. So, right. Yeah, mm. that guy's on it. All right, so, again, same kind of question. Top five, you know, who are some who are some guys that you think that we're going to see? I mean, I, you know, Zach Osborne kind of got in there and got some points between uh, Thomas and Haynes. But, say, going forward uh, in Georgia this coming weekend, you know, who, who do you think is going to be somebody coming up there to, to bust in the top five, if not maybe challenge for a win? I would say all of, all of Keith's guys, the regulars. Um, yeah. And uh, one other guy, my, my teammate from last year, Scotty Grills. Yeah, I think he'll. I think he'll be a. Uh, I don't know what he did today. I know he probably didn't do anything that he's happy about, but 
he's a hot-blooded kid and he's really tenacious and I think that uh, I, I won't be surprised at all if he's got some shocker podiums. Awesome. He ended up, uh, looks like he ended up 27th overall and, and 16th in class, but you know, it just seems like Florida is such a, uh, had a guy tell me it was a sucker punch race. <laughs> it's just so different than everything else you run. That it's such an ass beating. You, you can, you can certainly screw a championship run up at Florida, but you know, I don't necessarily know that you're going to, uh, you know, come away there, you know, with, uh, with exactly what it takes to win the championship. Um, when you do the statistics on the number of people that have won River Ranch or the first round that come back to win the championship, it's not very many. Um, so, I don't know. You know, it's just kind of gets kind of sh shook up a little bit at the first race, but, you know, if you can come out of Florida with good confidence, I think that's probably more important than, than a lot of things for a rider. Yeah, I think uh, Caleb Russell is somebody uh, it, it... I think of when saying what you were just saying because you know he uh, wasn't he DNF last year and that pretty much cost him the championship. You know a lot of people are saying now obviously you got to finish to you know to finish first kind of a situation, but um, he came away with a hell of a lot more confidence at the end of this uh, you know Florida race than he did out of last year's. So I think that that's uh, that bodes well and KTM might see an interesting title uh, competition. Uh, come later on in the year, if uh, if obviously one race down, if they stay consistent, so it could be interesting. Um, speaking about the women, we see Maria Forsberg kind of dominate in the the women's class in the two hour race um, the past couple years, and this year she she didn't get the win right off the bat. Casey Martinez, a, a motocross racer, kind of came in from the West Coast and got the win. I, re I really think that's good. I think that, you know, it sounds like uh, Jessica Patterson and Casey Martinez coming over. Uh, Ashley Copeland was there. She got a uh, third. She finished fourth overall last year in the women's class. It's cool to see a lot, you know, that class kind of growing. Um, I guess, you know, they don't run the three-hour three hour program just because three hours is a hell of a long, uh, a hell of a lot of racing. Um, but, you know, it, it's hard for anybody that's out there. I think it'd be hard for my ass just to do the damn two-hour program, let alone do three hours. Uh, but so you guys think I could that do three hours if we took we took an hour break in the middle? Hell yeah! So technically four yeah. or like just no? I could do the whole three hours if if I got to take a break for the you know the second hour. I would prefer to say screw it and just do two hours regardless straight and then just have beer afterwards. And if they're still racing for another hour, they can have it. I'm... You know, you know, on the women's class, Brian. I I just uh, you know we got involved in that a few years back. Um, it's 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 kind of cool that it is a morning race because it okay. uh, it's pretty neat when you go to the line and you see the the women's class and the umbrellas and the people holding you know holding them and it's uh, it's it's quite the show and I think that a lot of people really enjoy watching it in the morning I think it it's probably one of the you know funner classes to watch in the morning um, I know everybody likes to watch the sportsman's class but you know race in race out the women really do put on a good show. Right, uh, and, and they're fast, and uh, they got a lot of heart to get out there and do that. Um, you know, some of them don't weigh 115, 20 pounds, and the bike's twice their weight. You know? <laughs> so, anyway, it's kind of neat to see. You know, it's we've been doing it for three three years now, supporting somebody in the women's class every year, and for us, we think it's worthwhile. Nice. 
Well, uh, you know, we've got the general coming up uh, this coming weekend in uh, in Georgia. Was it Washington, Georgia? And uh, you know, we're gonna see if the what people did today is consistent, and they're gonna be able to come away with that uh, after this coming weekend. Uh, and then you know, a little bit of a break to go to the third round, but. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I know that they're going to have some kinks worked out in the webcast. I'm going to be able to watch that, hopefully, and uh, a little bit better. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to that. So uh, I just want to say thank you to one of our other sponsors of Seat Time. I have to say thank you very much to Squarespace. For those of you who have absolutely no idea what Squarespace is, Squarespace is the place that you should go check out. It's squarespace.com slash seat time. If you were to want to have any form of an exceptional slash professional looking website, you can go to uh, Squarespace and you can sign up. So, and you can sign up for free to get a trial period, no credit card, anything like that going. And obviously, if you use the discount code SEATTIME1, not only are you supporting SEATTIME, but you're also saving yourself 10%. So, they, you know, are advertising on SEATTIME. We say thank you very much to them for that. So, one of the things, though, that's so cool about uh, Squarespace is that you can kind of go there. You can get your own name. You can get your own domain name. Have your own website that's branded to yourself. The very, very, very clean-looking uh, templates. They're very responsive. So if anybody notices, oh, I want to be on this kind of device, it's going to respond to the kind of device you're on and as well the content that you're going to upload. They just uh, came across with a new e-commerce platform, which is awesome because if you're like maybe you're – selling some stuff out of your house and you want to be like oh you know i'm going to have my professional uh motorcycle website and then i'm going to sell some of the stuff on the side boom there's a really easy way to do it you can knock out two birds with one stone um and you get all control over your content what everything's going to look like i think that for all the riders that we have everybody for being a developer a lot of people have always called me oh i need a website i need to put this up oh i've got this with these race results well the thing is with squarespace you can go do that all on your own go there sign up get your domain name Put all your content on there. Pick something that you think looks awesome. And all of a sudden, you have a very, very professional-looking website. Um, so, squarespace.com slash seat time. Discount code seat time one. Please support those that support seat time. Woo! Okay. So, thank you very much, guys. So, some of the other stuff that I wanted to talk about was, uh, say, like the San Felipe 250 that happened this past weekend. They as well had a couple things that went on. So, like Tanner Thomas, a guy that actually had a good question for us about kind of bridging the gap between, say, some of the top five national enduro riders and some of the guys that are coming within that 6th through 11th place. Um, you know, he, he actually got an overall win this past weekend at his uh, NEOC race. So, um, Kenny... When it comes to like national enduros, you said you have done a couple of them in the past. You, when you've noticed that you're having trouble trying to, you know, catch up like speed wise with some of the guys that are really uh, like dominating that series, what are some of the things that you kind of changed up to try to to compete more there? The the best piece of advice I could give any kid coming up is to uh, dis disregard anything any, you know. Some, any trainer ever tells you, you know, you, you, you get trainers and you get people that are always telling you, you know, not to overtrain, not to work too hard, you know? And, um, you know, when you, when you're at a level like what Tanner is, um, you know, it, it's not a matter of your body being in peak condition. It's a matter of your mind being in peak condition. And if you go out and you know that what you did every single day was double what what Mike Lafferty and Russell Bobbitt and every other guy did at the end of the week you start to really believe in yourself and you say you know if I could do that 
I can do anything, man. This race is going to be easy now. And, um, yeah, maybe their body's pretty worn down. But mentally, that's when they start turning into a man and they look at themselves in the mirror and they know that they're, you know, they're putting in more work than everybody else and, and, and they start to believe in themselves. So, you know, what, by, by working hard, I mean covering all the bases. I mean doing a lot of motos, doing a lot of sprints. And by sprints, I mean taking your lap time and spending two hours trying to beat your lap time one lap at a time. And, uh, and then not stopping there, you know, you need to be doing, uh, you know, you're, you're cycling, um, you know, biometrics, you know, circuit training, whatever, whatever it may be that you like, you need to cover all the bases and, and cover a wide spectrum of, of training aspects. And, and you need to do more of it so that you believe in yourself. I think that's a, uh, that's fair advice. I don't know that, uh, I have what it takes, but I'm sure that a guy like Tanner Thomas does. I, I want to drink too much beer. And I know that's a fault of my own, and that's fine. I it's mean, okay. when I was Tanner, when I when I was essentially in Tanner's shoes, you know, I, I can remember I moved up to the pro class in GNCCs, and Fred and, and Rodney and and all those guys, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even look at me long enough that they had to blink, you know, like they wouldn't give me any respect for anything, and it didn't matter how much better and better I got, you know, I wouldn't get recognized by by anybody for anything like that you know the, the guys I was trying to race with wouldn't even acknowledge me as being uh, being a contender or anything and, and the more they did that the more it drove me and uh, you know I was a kid you know I didn't go to college but I lived in a college town and I like to I like to go out and chase girls and I like to, to go out and party with my friends and, and all that but no matter what I did I still got up early in the morning and I went out and I trained by myself even, and uh, I put a lot of effort into believing in myself, and, and uh, you know that's what it took. And um, I can tell you there was there was a lot of big big crashes that I had, you know, because I was pushing myself for for an extra second on a lap time, um, you know, and I'd have a big crash like that and be by myself. And uh, you know, I'm not recommending that, but it's a good idea or anything, but. Uh, if you want something bad enough that you're willing to work hard enough and sacrifice everything for it, it doesn't matter. It's just a matter of time before you get it. Yeah. Be the next Mike Lafferty. Nine enduro championships from working his ass off and doing a lot of turn tracks. Yeah. Mike Lafferty has been doing this for, for 20 years, and he never stopped working. He's been working that hard, like what I've talked about, all every one of those years. You know, when when – when the season's over, most riders take a break, and then they come back to it fresh and re-motivated. Mike's break is the one night that he goes out and parties at the end of the last race, and he's immediately that week, you know, doing testing all the new settings, picking out what bike he's going to be on, and back in the gym, you know, and and that's why Mike's been relevant for so long. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so the San Felipe 250 that took place this past weekend was a little bit of a controversy because of the fact that even though, say, Kurt Caselli and Ivan Ramirez actually came through first, they then, when the results came out, were penalized, as were uh, the, uh, what was it, Robbie Bell's team, the THR, Robbie Bell and David Patterson and, and their third teammate. And apparently they were off course by more than 500 feet. Now, where it got a little weird is because 
that rule where you could not go off course by over 500 feet was not supposed to take place until the 1,000, the score 1,000, or the 500, I'm sorry, so the score 500, which is coming up later this year. So they all thought up until then they were given a riders meeting, you know, like last minute on a Thursday before the race, hey, you know, we're going to go ahead and go with these new rules for the 250 as well as the 500. So even though they finished first, they didn't finish first, they finished second, the KTM team, and then you know Robbie Bell's team kind of got uh, moved back even then further to fourth behind Kendall Norman's team, which he was on a privateer effort, which I think is pretty badass. But he's always done really well at those situations. So, Keith, have you ever done any kind of Baja riding that you could relate to something of, of, of what it must feel like to do 250 miles worth of riding, and then you're like, oh, my transponder said I was in a different split? <laughs> no, I, I've not done any of that. No, I mean I can't imagine going that distance and, and, uh, and not getting uh, <laughs> not getting a result for the effort that was put into it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd be too happy about that. But uh, you know, it's tough. You know, the riders—that's what the riders' meetings for. You know, if there's uh, 500 feet, my goodness, I guess that's a whole lot different being in the open. But yeah, you know. You know, back here in the east racing the enduro series i mean i see trail that's within you know 100 feet of one another so you're going you can cut out a checkpoint pretty quick yeah uh, so i've never done anything like that out with us so yeah it sounded like too like uh, robbie bell had if, if anybody hasn't heard about this please go actually to his facebook page and read all of his uh, little blog posts that he wrote because he he spells it out really as clearly as i think anybody has yet um, and it just seemed like there was so much, so much changing. They were like, okay, so we're going to go this way. No, we're going to go this way. No, it's, we don't really know how it's going to be. Okay, it's going to go this way. And so they really just said, you know what? We, we pre-ran it this way. They were given a chance to go out and try to do some more pre-running to try to figure some of this out. But honestly, it just wasn't enough time. And so they made a team decision. You know what? We're going to go with what we originally pre-ran and we're going to see how it goes. And unfortunately, you know, they did go off the transponders and the transponder showed them being that far off, but it just kind of sucks. You know, like you guys were saying that maybe the XC2 class, they change the rules all the time. You know, when you have these kind of like last minute rule changes, it just totally, totally jacks with a lot of the preparation that people have put in now with more teams going South and spending more money to get down there. You know, I think the consistency is, is, is what's going to be key to kind of keeping these teams spending the money and keep coming back to this kind of stuff. It's sort of just a growing pain. I mean, it's just a is matter it? of the organizers getting more organized and being more particular. And it's a shame that Robbie Bell and the KTM team got the penalty for their, you know, lack of clarity. But, uh, you know, it's not like back here on the East Coast when somebody gets a penalty for cheating. It's like they sort of get a bad rap for it. But in this case, it sounds pretty clear that nobody had any ill will, you know, trying to find a shortcut. Yeah. And I think it's weird, too, because a lot of us, uh, a lot of us, myself, I personally, am, I've had to talk to Kirk Caselli multiple, multiple times to get him to understand a little bit of my ignorance toward desert racing. But it sounds like, you know, that you just need to get from point a to point b and however you can do that the fastest that's what you're going to need to do and you know with these guys pre-running and they have ten thousand different lines all over the place it's just whichever one they think is going to be the fastest one and just unfortunately one of the ones or a couple of the ones that they chose were just apparently more than 500 feet away from the actual trail so that's pretty far but 
I don't know. It's interesting. So we'll see how it's going to go forward. Uh, Toby Price, one of the guys that I got to meet at the ISDE, who we've talked with uh, a couple ex episodes ago, uh, did really, really well. They got uh, fifth place with uh, him and Mike Brown on the K on the second KTM bike. So I'm looking forward to him doing a lot better, though. He's a phenomenal desert racer. Uh, so now that he's kind of been over here and done some stuff, I just want to see how that's going to go down. Um, and then, of course, Nate, uh, I just wanted to tell you that Kurt Caselli is going to be racing um, Dakar again in 2014. Does that not lighten your pants a little? Yeah, I saw something today. Three years, right? Yeah, he's got like uh, Cyril Dupree, uh, you know, five-time five time Dakar guy is not going to be uh, – with uh, KTM for the Dakar this coming year, for 2014 Dakar. And uh, so they're going to get Caselli to take his place. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's pretty cool because, you know, it's been a few years now that KTM's sort of been a ringer, you know, like it's almost a foregone conclusion that KTM's going to win that event. And now Husqvarna and Honda are getting more interested in Yamaha as well. Um, so whichever team that uh, Cyril Dupre goes to, uh, that'll be really neat to see another brand as a contender. And, of course, Kurt getting an opportunity to, to do such a huge event and bring attention to American Off-Road Riders is, is really awesome. And, you know, I, I think Kurt will do good. He'll naturally be one of the favorites going in. Yeah. I mean, he won two stages in his first first Dakar, you know, this the, earlier this year. Um, and I don't think anybody expected that out of him, honestly. Like, just it's such a different beast he's obviously a great off-road rider and grows fantastic in the hare and hounds and the desert series and stuff like that but um there's just so much more that goes into car that they say um and he was like you know what i'm gonna learn learn my shit get it figured out and kick some ass and that's what he's trying to figure out how to do so i think it's gonna be really cool um so uh keith yeah. are you gonna sponsor uh, a dakar team with your yamahas <laughs> Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> I'm gonna do that. No. <laughs> that's not gonna. That's not gonna help out, unfortunately, in Indiana for you to sell bikes, is it? No, probably not. <laughs> no, that's uh, that is a market that Yamaha's playing in in the U.S. now, so that's kind of cool um, with with some of their production bikes. So, uh, actually, it's one of the fastest growing markets in the U.S. is that whole adventure bike stuff. The kind of the yeah, the adventure slash like travel bikes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, with the you know the aluminum bags on the side of it, and all that's cool stuff. It's fun. It's like, you know, you get on a road, you start riding, and then you press the hill, it turns to gravel, and you just start smiling. You know, it's a, it's a pretty neat little segment. So, so it's like dual sporting done cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> long distance stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm looking. For, yeah, they just uh, KTM just announced that new 1190. There, that new kind of the 1190 adventure. Uh, my dad's got the 990, and he loves that thing. So I think the, the 1190 is gonna be awesome. I would love to ride that bike, but I don't have twelve thousand dollars. Can I borrow that from you, Kenny? <laughs> I don't have twelve thousand dollars either. <laughs> if I keep doing shows like this, I'm gonna keep running out of money. So it's not the end of the world. If, if I had twelve thousand dollars, I would put it toward paying off my last year of racing. One day, right? Yeah. One, one day you will pay it off. Okay, before we start wrapping this stuff up and everybody starts telling us where they can find out more about them, I do have to say thank you to our uh, our, our last sponsor of Seat Time. We do have, we have our three fantastic sponsors, and that's the way we like it. We like to keep it short, sweet, and to the point. Fantastic partners. So 
Power Sport Graphics, uh, RidePG.com is where you can find them. The thing that's really cool is you can actually order your graphics before 11 a.m. on Eastern Time, and you can get them next day. I think that's fantastic. That's the way you should do it. Now, if you're like on their website and you're like, oh, that looks really cool. I want to order this before 11 a.m. Eastern Time, and I want to get it tomorrow and save 40% then you just get the ready to ship option. Now granted, you don't get a, you don't get to customize it with some of the fun logos and stuff like that, but you're saving 40%. So I think that in a market maybe such as people say the economy is right now, that could be an option for you as well. But if you don't want to save 40%, you know, maybe you want to put your own custom graphics on there. There is a discount code that you can use to use at least save 10%, and that is seat time. So that is the discount code seat time. So ridepg.com, go order some badass shit. Use the discount code SEATTIME, and please support all the people that support us. We really appreciate them for their support. They're fantastic people. Now, Mr. Obermeyer, if you were to tell us about all these fun little social networks that you're on and people could find you to hit you up and tweet you real hard on Twitter, what would they be? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, we're, on, we're on Facebook. You Obermeier need flashcards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Twitter, I think, is uh, Obermeyer Yamaha. Uh, we're, pre we're pretty, pretty easy. Um, check us out, obyamaha.com. I've heard that about you guys. Yeah, or easy. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, that's, we're not too hard to find. All right, Nate, where the hell are you at on the internet? I mean, I shouldn't even say where I'm at because I don't use it. I don't use it that much, but uh, whatever, I'm dude. On... You you retweeted me. That's cool. I liked it. It felt good. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I'm like, I'm unreliable. I'm inconsistent on those things. So you know, somebody might write me, and it might be like days before I get back. But but you're I'm, honest. Uh, you're you're. That sounds like, like me. Yeah. I'm like uh, I'm Nathan Canny one sixteen on Twitter and Instagram, and I think my Facebook is uh, just a forward slash Nathan Canny. Nice. All right. Well, everybody. More, go. more importantly, uh, people can find me at RideNitro.com. Boom. And, uh, new inventory, hangars in stock, and the uh, Facebook forward slash RideNitro. RideNitro on Facebook. Whoo! Get me some handguards, bitches. I like it. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna order me a pair just so I can look really cool. Is that? Yeah. Is that? Is that? Am I gonna get more out of it than just looking cool? Yeah, you're gonna get a lot of that. You're gonna probably at least get a couple of handies. Whoa! I'm not gonna tell me. I'm not even gonna tell my wife. They're like, did no. Catch, did you catch the pun in that? Boy, did I. Handies, cause they're hand guards. <laughs> Is it the guard of the hands and the handies? The guards of the handies. I don't know. I'm going weird places with this. It's okay. All right. So what you have been watching and listening to, if you're listening to it on Stitcher or uh, iTunes, is Seat Time. So this is SeatTime.co is the website where you can find us. If you happen to be on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Seat Time. If you're on Twitter, it is at Seat Time underscore CO. Of course, we're on Instagram, which is just regular old Seat Time because it's boring. And then, of course, SeatTime.BigCartel.com is where you can go find some merchandise, specifically these big-ass tall pint glasses that everybody should have. Right? Right. right. Appreciate you guys being on. It, we got started a little late. We ran a little long, but honestly, uh, that sounds pretty normal these days. And uh, I don't know if that's a bad thing, good thing, or just indifference, but I really appreciate you guys being on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. All right, we'll do it again whenever you guys have more beer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, take it in. Remember, seat time. Always enjoy a pie full of awesome. Awesome.